We saw this morning that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely central to the message of Christianity to the gospel. And uh, we saw how Paul, in dealing with the error that was there in the church of Galatia, set forth again Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he wanted the people there to see again the wonder of what Christ had done. And we find in our text that there is a similar declaration, a similar uh, revelation here about the cross of the Lord Jesus, how the cross speaks to us and challenges us and proclaims to us and preaches to us. And I wonder if you've ever considered what the cross of the Savior is saying to you, whether you've really ever listened to this message with the intent of realizing that it could transform your life. If you look in Romans 3 and verses 24 to 26, we see that Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is laying out the wonderful gospel of grace again. And he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate, that is to declare, to set forth, to make clear. And so something remarkable was happening at the cross. And it speaks to us even this night. There are certain things that it tells us and challenges us with. Now, in Hebrews 12, the writer makes this point in a slightly different way. He speaks of how the blood of Christ, which was shed at Calvary on the cross, speaks of something better than the blood of Abel. Now, you say, well, who was Abel? What is the situation there? Well, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the first murder is committed when Cain kills Abel and spills his blood. Cain and Abel were the first two sons of Adam and Eve. And so the blood of Abel spoke in the sense of it cried out for vengeance, for punishment, for retribution. But the writer to the Hebrews says, we are brought to the blood of Christ, which speaks better things, because it speaks of, of life, of deliverance, of salvation, of hope, the great themes of the gospel. And it causes people to rejoice because it brings the greatest message that the world has ever or will ever hear. And that's why if we're believers this night, we rejoice. Our boast is in the cross of Christ. But what does the cross say? What does it speak? What does it declare to us? Well, we're just going to look at some very simple things tonight. And I pray that God's grace, that you would not only hear these things, but you would believe them for yourself. And so the cross speaks and it tells us that each of us has a soul and that our soul is of great, great value. Think of Mark chapter 8, verses 36 to 37. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So let me ask you, do you realize tonight as you're here that you have an eternal soul? That you're more than just flesh and bone, as it were. And the cross of Jesus tells us about this because of the reason that the Son of God went to that cross. Because of the value of the souls of his people. To save them, to deliver them. We've just sung it in that hymn. 
You know, teach me, Savior, teach me. The value of a soul. The cross speaks and tells us something about ourselves that God has given us this immensely valuable gift of a soul. In fact, it's the most important thing that you have. And this is the part of us which goes on when we die, something which is imperishable, something which goes on in eternity. The cross tells us this. And so tonight, you need to realize the importance of this and your state before God. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross not so that our bodies might be healed or that we might be better fed or clothed or to give us more knowledge. He went to the cross in order to save the souls of sinners. Of course, he saves the whole person. We know that in the glory to come, we'll receive our resurrection bodies. That's a wonderful thing. But the value of the soul is highlighted in the Scriptures. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, what is lost is our souls. And the cross tells us that we have an eternal soul, and the state of our souls should be of great concern to us. And so tonight, are you concerned about that? You know, as you've come along, and maybe you come regularly, and you come to the service, are you concerned about these eternal things, not least your own soul? Or is it just something that you do on a Sunday evening? You see, the Bible, the cross, it tells us these things are vital. For all the other things you may have in this world, whatever this world may appear to give you, a day is coming when all of that is going to be stripped away. Even your body. And we will have to leave it all behind and the soul goes on. That is the thing that matters, says the cross. The Lord of glory hangs upon a cross because of the value that he places on the soul of man. And the cross says to us immediately, there is nothing more important for our souls than our relationship to God and whether we are right with God or not. So I ask you directly tonight, where are you before him? Are you saved? Are you right with God? Do you know him as your father in heaven? Have your sins been forgiven? Where are you in your relationship to God? Do you understand what the death of Jesus in the cross and on the cross, do you understand why that is so vital? Jesus Christ came to provide and secure the way through which sinners like you and me could be made right with a holy God. God the Father sent his Son to do that work. And the Scriptures tell us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so your soul, the state of your soul, is of utmost importance tonight. If only I could impress upon you that urgency, the realization that this is something that you can't just set aside or put off, but it needs to be addressed now. Where are you with God, your soul's relationship with God? And then the cross speaks, and it tells us that our relationship with God is broken because of sin. You see, man in his natural state, each one of us in our natural state is in rebellion against God. We are sinners. Sinners ruin everything. Now, the world goes on, doesn't know it, is ignorant of the fundamental issue. They're spiritually dead. But the cross speaks and tells us, as we saw in the passage that we read together, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And nothing we can do, all the law keeping and all the rest, nothing that we can do can save us. And the seriousness 
of sin must never be underplayed. Do you know, for many, you know, the thought of sin, if it is even there, you know, is often explained away as just some minor inconvenience, a bump in the road, you know, some mistake, just some unfortunate errors along the way. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that sin is so serious that the horror of sin, the biblical view of sin, is overlooked. Why? Because it's, it's too uncomfortable. We don't like to be confronted with it, but sin is awful. And it should make us deeply uncomfortable. And the real horror of sin is that it is rebellion against God. It is man defying God. It is man rejecting God and breaking his law and throwing him off. It is man setting himself against God, setting himself up in the place of God. You know, the cross declares powerfully that sin is something that has ruined us. It's broken our relationship with God. You know, that our sin is an offense to the holy God. Sin is something that requires action on the part of God. The holiness of God, the Bible says, burns against sin. And the cross sets this before us. The seriousness of sin, the foulness of it, the ruining and breaking effect of sin regarding our relationship to God. You need to realize tonight that you're a sinner. And outside of Christ, you'll have to face a holy God, guilty and condemned. But the cross then speaks... And it tells us that God, because of his very character, must punish sin. You know, it follows then that just as the cross declares the awful reality of sin, it tells us that God is holy, that he's righteous, and that he's just. You know, and it tells us that he is glorious and mighty, but that he is holy, righteous, and just, and he hates sin, his wrath is upon sin. And he can't just ignore it or sweep it under the carpet as some are prone to do. He must deal with sin. And why did Jesus Christ have to die upon the cross? He's the Son of God. He's perfect. He, he lived a life without sin. He knew no sin. He never broke his Father's commandments. Even when the apparent authorities of this world put him on trial, what could they bring against him? Nothing. He was blameless, he was spotless, he was pure. Even still, he dies. Why does he die on the cross? Well, the cross declares to us that he died because God hates sin and because God's holy wrath burns against sin. And such is the character of God that sin cannot be treated lightly. His very holiness, his nature, demands that he deal with sin. And in his sovereign purposes, God chose not to forgive by just saying, you know, I forgive and sweep it all away. The reason being that his very character demanded more. Justice must be done. You know, do you imagine that God would have sent his only son to the cross if he could have forgiven the sin of men in any other way? Will God have abandoned his son to that, poured out his wrath upon him? Would he have abandoned his son to the darkness of Calvary and allowed him to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Would he have allowed this if there was any other way? But there was no other way. And before God could forgive any sinner, his only son, his only son, had to leave the courts of heaven and come down to this earth, take on human nature, 
and live as a man and be stricken, smitten of God upon that cross. Because the character of God demands that sin must be dealt with. And so the cross proclaims that God is holy. That sin is real. The terrible problem of sin, the terrible seriousness of man's rebellion against God. And at every stage, the cross challenges us. What is your relationship to a holy God? Do you know him? Has your sin been forgiven? As the mighty sacrifice of Jesus Christ begins to be brought into view, something of the significance of what happened there, surely we have to realize we have a fundamental problem in our lives, and that is sin. And it taints everything, it ruins. And worse, it has broken our relationship with the Lord. And as we saw this morning, it is utter foolishness to think that somehow we can fix that. That we can make it right. That, you know, just by trying our best to, to, to live a good life or to do what we can, that somehow that's going to make it okay. We are ruined by sin. And sin demands a response from a holy God. His very character demands that sin is punished. And friend, that will either be at the cross of Christ or in that place of everlasting torment where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, God made man in his own image. Man's purpose is to live to his glory. You know, that question that we often think of, you know, the catechism, Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? Chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what God made us for. And so if that's not your chief end, then you're a sinner. And you say, well, you know, I'm not a murderer, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a thief, I'm not that bad really. But the question is, are you living to the glory of God? Have you met his perfect standard? Is God first in your life? Are you submitting yourself in total obedience to him? You see the standard that the Lord Jesus set. And he reaffirms the standard of the Old Testament. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the first commandment. And the Bible says we can't do that because of our sin and our brokenness. Our very best efforts are as filthy rags before the Lord. And yet, in spite of our sin, God desires for sinners to know him, to have fellowship with him, to be in a right relationship with him. He wants your heart. He wants the, the center of your allegiance. He doesn't need them, but he desires them. Is that not a staggering thing that the God of heaven desires indeed to have that relationship with you? to make the way in which you can be brought to him. And as we're brought to consider the message of the cross, this is written large, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and that's why Jesus had to go to the cross. God, in his great mercy and grace, intervened, and the cross declares this. The most amazing intervention that the world has ever seen, and the one who accomplished it will be worshipped for eternity. And so the cross speaks, it tells us we have a soul, it tells us that we are sinners, that sin is serious, that God must punish sin. But the cross speaks to us tonight and says that God has intervened and dealt with sin on behalf of his people. Look at verse 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to declare. Are you listening to this mighty proclamation? Who has God set forth? 
What has been accomplished by the shedding of blood? What does this mighty sacrifice say to you and me? Well, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's staggering. The cross of Jesus speaks and tells us that God himself has made the way and deals with the problem of man's sin. This terrible, awful reality of sin is dealt with at Calvary. Something definite takes place. Something once for all. You know, so many today try to remove the true meaning of the cross, to soften its edges, to make it less offensive. But in doing so, they lose the gospel. If we miss the power and meaning of what was taking place at the cross, then friends, we have no gospel, we have no hope for ourselves and for a lost world. For many, the cross is hard to understand, but if you look at the Lord's teaching, how he emphasized the work he had come to do again and again and again, there was no doubt about his mission. He came to save. He came to redeem. And we've seen, haven't we, in recent times in the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples, they, they struggled with that. They couldn't just get their head around it. They were taken up of thinking of an earthly kingdom and they wanted prominency of that and all the rest. But you see, Jesus came to save. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. They couldn't grasp that. Even in the darkness of Calvary, it was evident that they couldn't see it. And the crowd, some pitied him, some jeered at him, mocked him, but none could fully grasp what was happening. But as he hung nailed to a Roman cross, as his precious blood was spilt, the great declaration is that God was dealing with sin. God was setting forth his son, the Lamb of God, the only one who could do this work, the only one who could atone. And he was making a definite declaration that is remarkable for those who are found in Christ. God has intervened. You know, whenever I read these verses in Romans 3, I just find them staggering, utterly incredible. God has to justify himself for forgiving. It shows you the difficulty and cost of forgiveness and dealing with sin. Salvation isn't a, a light, trivial thing. God, being holy, has to justify himself for forgiving. And so how can a holy God forgive? How can a God whose very nature demands sin be punished, who must punish sin, how can he forgive sin? How can he remain just and absolutely holy and yet at the same time deliver the sinner? It's the cross. The cross is the divine answer. God sends his son. God on the cross uh, was punishing sin in his son. He said that he would and he has done it. God has always said that sin is to be punished, the outpouring of his wrath, that he cannot deal with sin in any other terms. And on the cross, he does it publicly, once and for all, pouring out his wrath on sin in the body of his own son. And the Bible tells us that he is striking him and smiting him and condemning him to death. And he dies and the blood speaks. 
and it's God's punishment of sin and evil. God has done what he said he would do. Punish sin. The wages of sin is death. And at the cross, God was punishing sin in Christ in order that sinners like you and me could be saved. It's incredible. The Son of God should stand in my place to take the wrath that I deserved, the punishment that I deserved. And yet such is the love and the grace and the mercy of God that he saved sinners and the cross is crucial in that. You want to see true love, the greatest demonstration of love, the greatest declaration of the love of God, it is right there at Calvary. When Jesus laid down his life to save the people who are on his heart, given to him in eternity past. And the cross speaks and it shows us these things and then it tells us that God has made one way for sinners to be forgiven. There's only one way. And after seeing the declarations of Calvary, the most glorious news is now here for us. God has intervened for sinners like you and me in the work and person of his son, the pinnacle being his death on the cross. And now, as that is set forth before you, it demands a response. You know, if tonight the Holy Word, the Holy Spirit is at work to challenge you regarding your your soul and the state of your soul, disturbing you, convicting you regarding your sin, causing you to think on Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, then see its application to you. You see, Old Testament prophets, they knew something of this. They couldn't see it clearly. They were not meant to, but they were given to see something of the depth and the wonder of Christ's suffering and the glory that would follow. And one of them, at the height of his prophetic inspiration, put what he saw into the mouth of the Messiah that was to come when he said, Isaiah 45, 22, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Look unto me. Indeed, the Messiah, our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, he issued such beautiful gospel calls. Think of Matthew 11, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, it's so amazing. You listen to the preaching of the gospel, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of sin, and you know, we're terrified, we're alarmed when God works in us. We're convicted, we realize our hopelessness. But then, as the blood is preached, as we see Christ, his death upon the cross, we see that wonderful call to come, to come and be saved, to be delivered, to be rescued. Do you know, maybe tonight, you've seen something of the seriousness of sin, the prospect of death and of judgment. And if God will punish his son who took on himself imputed guilt, how will he punish those who reject his son? and hold on to their own sin. If he, the perfect, pure, spotless Lamb of God, must suffer such agony, how will you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? What hope do you have? You need a Savior. You need the Savior, Jesus Christ. And even tonight, he bids you come. You know, in Ephesians 2, it speaks of how Christ is himself our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments 
contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the, en uh, the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. So basically speaking there of Jews and Gentiles, and the point is this, peace with God comes only by the blood, whether you're Jew or Gentile. It's only in Christ that we are brought near. And that's the glorious thing. To whom is this gospel call given, this invitation given? To whom does the cross, the blood, cry out today saying, come? It is to those who are afar off as well as to those who are near. As the Lord clearly says in Mark 2, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, it speaks to you if you've been brought to see your great need. The gospel isn't for the self-righteous and the religious and all the rest or the self-satisfied. There's nothing here for them. If you have confidence in yourself and what you're doing and you're going to take your own uh, way and save yourself by your own effort, well, that's for you. There's nothing for you here. But if you know that you're a sinner, if you know that there is nothing you can do, if you see how the Scriptures expose us, if you know something of that conviction, if you have known the, the Spirit of God working to show you that all your thinking of good things and righteousness that you think you have is as filthy rags, it will humble you, it will condemn you, it will abase you, but it will show you that there is hope in Christ. And if you feel your need this night, and if you know that you are not right with God, and you will know it, if you feel that you could never save yourself, if you feel yourself so far off, then the cross speaks to you. And to whom does the call of the cross come? It comes to those who know that they have gone wrong, who know that sense of guilt and shame, who are weary, who are weary, trying and trying and trying and forlorn. And Jesus says, come to me. He says, stop, you know, going on in that way. He says, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll deliver you. I'll save you. I will take the burden of your sin and I will deal with it and I will give you life and hope and joy. And you might have tried so hard to live right, to do the right thing. You might be doing your best and yet you never make it. And friend, you never will. Do you feel your need this night? The world cannot satisfy you, cannot help you, cannot give you what your soul longs for. And life so often disappoints. But as the Spirit of God is at work and your conscience is challenged, condemning, you know you're without excuse, that you're guilty, you know that your heart is unclean, you feel the burden of your sin, there is hope at Calvary. And maybe you feel fear. Life is overwhelming. Maybe you're afraid of what tomorrow might bring or afraid of death. You know it's coming. You can't do anything about it. And then, then you've got to face God and judgment and hell. And these things trouble you. And there you are. And you're helpless and you're in turmoil. And the gospel says, come. Come and be delivered. 
Repent of your sin. Turn away from it. Confess your need. Confess your foolishness. Confess that you've been trusting in yourself. Acknowledge your arrogance and seeking to turn away from Christ. Admit that you're in rebellion against him. Admit your sin against him. And so turn from that and then come to God. Confess your sin without any reservation and cast yourself upon him. Tell him that you've only lived for this world, but you don't want to anymore. You want to know him. That you've loved other people and other things before him. Fall before him and tell him that you deserve nothing from him, that you have nothing to plead. You've got no excuse. And as you call upon him in that way in repentance, you can be sure that when you come to him like that, he won't turn you away, but he'll save you. He will forgive you. He'll deal with your sin, past, present, future. And he will give you new life. He'll give you his righteousness. You know, that's the amazing thing about the cross. It comes to such individuals and it brings with it this glorious call, this glorious hope. He will come to you and he will accept you just as you are. You don't clean yourself up. He comes to you in your sin and he plucks you out. And he delivers you and he cleanses you. And he makes you new. The world isn't interested in you. But the cross declares that the very son of God, the savior, loves sinners. And he calls you this night to himself. And for the sinner, he offers deliverance. He offers pardon. He offers peace with God. We sung a hymn, very first thing this morning, which speaks about the calm of sins forgiven. It's a wonderful position to be in, to know that your sins are forgiven and that you're right with God. And the cross tells you that through the sacrifice, through the shed blood, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, trust in him, rest in him, the cross declares that your sin has been dealt with and it can't be brought back against you. It has been atoned for, cast as it were into the depths of the sea. So you can be washed and cleansed, forgiven and pardoned. And the Lord will make you a new creation. You'll have new desires, new life, new power to know God and walk with God, to battle against the ongoing snares of the old man and the enemy. And you will have an everlasting hope. You will have eternal life. You need not fear the grave because the Savior is overcome. And the blood of Christ says that the Son of God has borne your punishment, that everything that stood between you and God has been dealt with. It has been removed. And so God is your Father, and he holds you, and he will keep you. And one day you will be with him in glory. One day you'll see Christ face to face. You know, it's so wonderful. The gospel is so wonderful, and it is a free gift of grace. And tonight, in the Lord's goodness, you have been granted another opportunity. Why would you walk away? Why would you turn your back on this Savior who has done all that was necessary to save you, to make you right? All you need to do, turn from your sin, trust him. I wonder if you'll heed that gospel call this night. Will you trust the Savior? I pray that there will be rejoicing in heaven over sinners saved, those who have passed from death to life, those who have been forgiven, made right 
for time and for eternity. And if we are in Christ, then we should leap for joy because God has been so gracious towards us and we know that we are his, forever his. All praise be to his name. Amen.